You may remember the title of this series, Alert Level Red. That comes from the alert levels that have been created or at least publicized by Homeland Security. You have green level, not really any threat at all. Blue, guarded, yellow, elevated, orange, high, and red, imminent, all right? And uh, I don't know if the government's recognized that we're not really paying attention to that much, but uh, I've actually tried to change my ways, and so this week I went online and I did some studying and took a test and was issued a certificate of readiness by Homeland Security. Um, this is certificate of readiness to Kevin Eckert. He says, Kevin Eckert is officially ready for the unexpected. Um, the organization that does this, that's a part of Homeland Security called uh, Ready Kids, uh, congratulates you on completing the activities in this program to help you prepare for unexpected situation. And so Ready Kids says that if there is an emergency, you will be ready. Excellent job, Homeland Security. That's what I did this week. Yeah. I'm ready. I don't know about you. But if there's something unexpected, it won't be unexpected to me. At least so I thought. And then the unexpected happened. And here's what happened. I don't know if Homeland Security listened to my sermon a couple weeks ago or what. But in the last two weeks, they changed the whole system. Did you know that? Yeah, they changed the whole system. They threw out the color-coded stuff. They brought in a whole deal. I guess they figured out that all this stuff has become white noise for us. And we're just not paying attention to that stuff. So they, they came up with a new thing in order to more effectively communicate. So I want to test that theory. All right, how many of you actually heard there's a new system before today? That's, that's not bad. Maybe... 25 of you, something like that. Okay, um, how many of you know what the alert level is for today on May the 8th? Anybody? Well, not so effective. <laughs> how many of you care? <laughs> okay, maybe that's part of the problem. Okay, if you do care, you can actually sign up like on email or Twitter to get the alerts as they come out so you'll be on the cutting edge of knowing what's happening in the world, you know? And so I did that. I went on Twitter because I'm really into that. And uh, <laughs> so I signed up, and uh, so I'm getting alerts. And, and I found out, I looked, you know, on Twitter, you can see how many people are following stuff. There's 350 million people in the United States. You know how many people are on Twitter following this alert? Like less than 7,000. That's not really good for effective communication. But I'm one of about 7,000 getting alerts, and uh, over the last week or so that they've had this new system, I've received absolutely no alerts. None. Not even a, I'm glad you're with us kind of t Twitter, you know? Nothing. Zero. And, and guess what the alert level is today? There isn't one. They haven't even issued a current alert with the new system. No alert. Okay. What are we supposed to be doing then? This is what they say. We are to remain in a state of extreme vigilance. I don't even know what that means. I mean, if you figure that one out, let me know because I want to be in on this stuff, all right? Now, the new alert levels, let me describe them to you, all right? Are you ready for this? I mean, you are going to know more than most everybody in the entire city or the nation, for that matter. Right now, I'm going to tell you the new levels. Here they are. The, the, there's two of them now. 
And the first one is elevated. That's it. And then the second one is imminent. Does that sound a little bit like yellow and red to you? I mean, and I'm thinking to myself, yellow and red's a little bit easier than elevated and imminent. Half the people don't even know what imminent means. Anyway, I don't know how much money they spent to figure this out, but it's kind of like the government go from something very simple to something very complicated, spend a whole lot of money doing it, and think that we're better off. I don't get it. Do you? Oh, well, here we are in church seeking the worship of the Lord in the midst of a government mess called the security system. Now, for those of us who are seeking to honor the Lord on a daily basis, this whole idea of a threat level really brings to bear a greater question. And that's why the title of the series, Alert Level Red. Because we, by worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, are proclaiming that we believe in Christ. And if we believe in Christ, then we believe His promises. And the promise that He left His followers with is that He will return. And if Jesus Christ will return, the question that we all have to ask and answer ourselves is his promise of his imminent return affecting our lives on a daily basis? Are you living like Christ's return is imminent? Alert, level, red. My hope is that as we dig into Matthew 24 and 25, that Jesus' words will encourage us towards that end. So let's look at Matthew chapter 24. Now, Jesus has just left the temple for the very last time. And as he's walking out of the temple with his disciples, his disciples, they point out the buildings of the temple. Now, the significance of Matthew mentioning that in verse 1 is tied to chapter 23. Because in chapter 23, Jesus says to the disciples in their hearing, he says that Jerusalem and her house will be left desolate. desolate. The house of Jerusalem will be left desolate. And so there they are leaving the temple, and the disciples are pointing out the buildings. I'm sure in response to Jesus' statement that these, this building, the house of Jerusalem, will be left desolate. And they're saying, look at these buildings. And look at what Jesus, how he responds to his disciples. Verse 2. Answering, he said to them, Do you not see these things? That's a self-evident question. Expects a self-evident answer. Yeah, we, we see these things. That's what we're pointing out. We, we see all this stuff. And Jesus says, Truly I tell you that not one stone here will be left upon a stone which has not been torn down. So Jesus Christ right there tells his disciples, as they're looking at this, this magnificent building, this incredible structure that's been refurbished and rebuilt by King Herod. It's the third, really, the third temple in the Israelites' history. The first one under Solomon, destroyed under the judgment that was brought by the Babylonians. <clears throat> and then the 
temple was rebuilt, Zerubbabel, Haggai, Zechariah, <clears throat> Ezra, Nehemiah, those guys in the Old Testament, they, they work on rebuilding the temple. They rebuild the temple then in the intertestamental times with the Greeks and the Romans. There's some damage done in the temple. And then Herod comes along, rebuilds and refurbishes this magnificent temple that's the center of Jewish life. And Jesus says to the disciples, this building will be absolutely destroyed. Now that had to be shocking to the disciples. I mean, this is the centerpiece of their life as Jews. And Jesus just said that this building is going to be destroyed, which they would associate because of the history that they know as Jews, that this is going to happen because of judgment. Shocking. Shocking news. In fact, that's exactly what happens about 35 to 40 years later. After Jesus says this, the temple is completely destroyed by the Romans. And today at the temple site is the Muslim memorial or the Dome of the Rock. So when Jesus said desolate, stones ripped down, and that this place will no longer be the house of God, that's exactly what he meant, and that's exactly what's happened to, until this day. You've got to recognize this is not just a building for these people. The disciples don't view the temple as just a, an important religious building. This is the place where God said his name would dwell. This is a residence for God so that his presence might be among the people. That he is called to be his own people. And Jesus just tells the disciples, this place is going to be destroyed. They are really in shock. And that leads to the next section here where they're up on the Mount of Olives and they come to him by themselves and they ask him a very important question for what he, from what he just said. Verse 3, sitting up on the Mount of Olives, his disciples come to him and they come alone and they say, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. So what Jesus Christ has just told these guys has prompted them to come to him alone and say, Jesus, we don't want to know exactly what you're getting at here. Because if this is going to happen, this certainly has to do with the, the end of time, the consummation of all things. So tell us, when is this going to happen? And what in the world's going to be happening so we know that it's coming? Now you may not be aware of the alert level in our nation. But I guarantee you, you're interested in the end times. I mean, we all have questions about what's going to be happening and when is it going to happen. We have a high interest in this subject. And because of that, before we jump into this, I want to give some caveats. This is a few warnings to you as we work through this so that we all stay on the same page, all right? Just a few things that you need to be encouraged with so that we all stay in the same perspective. Because some really weird stuff happens when you start talking about the end times. People get a little bit strange about this stuff. So I want to just give you a few caveats. The first one is, this sermon series will not digress into a diatribe on the end times. If you're coming and expecting me to lay out all this end times theology and have like a felt board up here and be putting all this stuff... That's not going to happen, okay? This is not going to be this big... What we're going to do is we're going to deal with the text. And whatever the text is teaching us, we're going to respond to that as faithful believers of Jesus Christ. So that's what you're going to get. You're going to get what Matthew does in 24 and 25, and we're going to respond to what the Spirit of God says in the Scripture. So you're not going to get some big diatribe, all right? Second thing, 
there is only one expert on the end times. Only one. Now, since Jesus Christ ascended, there have been hundreds of people who have said they are experts on what's going to happen or, and or when it's going to happen. I mean, throughout history, there have been people saying stuff about the return of the Lord, the end of the world, Judgment Day, all that kind of stuff. And, and I thought maybe it would be helpful if I gave you some of the highlights from the last 25 years or so. This is pretty interesting stuff. And it's pretty funny, actually, so I'm going to share it with you. Hal Lindsey predicted the rapture would occur before December 31st, 1981. Still waiting. The Jehovah's Witnesses have made predictions over and over again. They make a prediction, doesn't happen, they change it. That's been happening a lot since the 80s with those guys. If any of you are around and old enough to know um, what was going on in 1988, you probably remember the 88 reasons why the rapture is in 1988 is produced, written by Edgar Wisenant. And uh, as you know, it didn't happen in 1988. And so the next year, he came out with another book entitled 89 Reasons Why the Rapture. The second one didn't do near as good as the first, as you can imagine. A guy named Lee Jang Rim, he started a church in Australia called Mission for the Coming Days. This is a big deal. Um, and he said that the return of Christ would be October 28, 1992, and he had thousands of followers. Uh, somewhere around 10,000 people were a part of his church. And uh, he would communicate all the stuff about what Jesus is going to do. He's going to show up in the Sydney Harbor on uh, that day, October 28th at 9 a.m. on the dot, Australia time. And so they all gathered together, and they had their big service there at Sydney Harbor, and they had this big clock. They're counting down, five, four, three, two, one. And then the leaders run and hide. You know, but they find Lee Jong Rim, and they put him in jail because he had embezzled $4.4 million from his followers. You know what he was doing with that money this whole time he was raising money in the church? He was buying bonds with them. You know the maturity date? After... October 28th, 1992. Can you say false prophet? And then in 1994, a guy named Harold Camping wrote a book, Are You Ready? Predicting the Lord's Return in September of 1994. And uh, this book dealt with all kinds of stuff that added up Bible numbers and came to 1994 as the date of Christ's return. And Anyway, that's an important name. You'll need to remember that. I'll tell you more about that in just a second. And then there's a guy named Ronald Wineland. He's predicting that Jesus is going to return on May the 27th, 2012. So um, what's interesting about this guy is he's written this book called God's Final Warning 2008. And in that book, he made specific uh, prophecies that were not fulfilled. And he said in that book, if these things don't come true, then I'm a false prophet. When they didn't come true in an interview, I heard the interview. In the interview, he said, well... I'm not a false prophet. The reason those things didn't come to pass is because God has had mercy on us, so we don't always know when God's going to do that. And so then he started telling us about how he's going to... And I thought to myself, well, if he's a prophet and God decides to have mercy and change his mind, it seems like you would have told Ronald so Ronald wouldn't look like a fool, you know? But I guess Ronald didn't get that, you know? 
So he, in, in, his, in his little 18-minute radio broadcast, he said like three or four times, I'm not a false prophet. You can't call me a false prophet. And I'm just telling you, anytime somebody finds a reason to defend themselves, say they're not a pro- false prophet, in about 18 minutes, four or five times, you can guarantee they are a false prophet. He's got problems. <laughs> Has anybody seen the billboards around town? May the 21st. How many of you have seen those billboards? Let's see your hands. Good. They should put alert levels on billboards. Yeah, you'd be a lot better off. Now, those billboards around town, they are put there by a guy named Harold Camping. That sound familiar? He wrote the book, Are You Ready?, saying that Jesus is going to return September 1994. I'm just wondering if that guy figured enough time has passed that nobody knows he wrote that book and was wrong, and so he's come out with a new deal. And so he's saying, and he's put over 2,000 billboards around the nation. And he's, and he's on like 50 plus radio stations sharing his prophecies. And he's saying that Jesus is going to return the end of the times, May the 21st, you know, which is in less than two weeks. And he says it's going to happen specifically at 6 p.m. sunset in Jerusalem. That's what he's saying. Now, previous to the 21st, he's saying there's a world catastrophe on the 14th. And so on the 14th, you know, in just... About a week, less than a week, it be a world catastrophe. The 21st, Jesus is coming, world's at an end. So that's Harold Camping. I will see you guys on May the 22nd right here, 9 a.m. I mean, that guy is... Anyway, that's billboards around our town right there. And, and all that to say this, there is one expert on the end times. His name is God. He's it. And... I want to make sure that we understand that as we dig into some of these end time stuff that comes out here in Matthew, there is one expert. And historically, people that have been overly concerned with the what about Christ coming and the when have been wrong at best and false prophets and false Christ at worst. And we want to make sure that we Really listen to the one expert. All right? The next warning is this. We, we all have ideas and thoughts about end times. I mean, everybody has thoughts, ideas, and questions about it. Here's the deal. We don't want to use anything we're doing in this place or anything that you think about the end times as a sledgehammer to conform others to what do we think about the end times. We are not going to say something or believe something in this place that is not clearly written in God's word about the end times, such that we use that to help other people overcome their own ignorance. Because there's only one expert on the end times. And it's not you and it's not me. And so we don't want to use that against other people. The other thing I want to encourage you to do is hold your theology, your ideas about the end times loosely. A lot of what you think about the end times has to do with what somebody's told you. What you've heard, what you've seen on a movie, what you've read in a book, and it's not theologically sound. And so I want you to hold what you think about the end times loosely and submit it to what Scripture says. We do not want to define what we believe about the end times by somebody's book or somebody's movie. Alright? So make sure that you... Define your perspective of the end times based on biblical theology. 
You don't want to get left behind in this, all right? You want to define it by biblical theology. Did you catch that? Um, the last thing is, I, I just want you to make sure that if something I say or something we read piques your interest in the end times and you begin to look into it more and study it, which is great. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But if you choose to do that, evaluate the value of that based on how much faithfulness it produces in your life. Here's what I've seen people do. They get they get into the end times type stuff. They start reading all this stuff. They get into the books, the movies, the theological perspectives. And they just become obsessed with the end times. And they stop thinking about faithfulness, simple day-to-day faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. And it's just like the enemy to take a little bit of truth, mix it up enough to get you obsessed about something that makes you forget about God. And I just want you to make sure that if you get interested in something along these lines that you evaluate that by how much faithfulness it's producing in your life every day. Because what Jesus Christ does tell us is intended to produce faithfulness, which is what we'll see today. Now, I want to move on to Jesus' answer to the disciples, but I just want to tell you that his answer is difficult to understand completely. There are some things here that people have been debating in this first 30 verses or so for a long, long time. And we're not going to resolve all those debates, and that's not my goal this morning. My goal is to understand what God intends us to have and know from what he's written and for our lives to be changed by it. Now, throughout this study, there's going to be some simple and clear messages that come through Scripture. And the challenge is that we embrace those and we respond to Jesus Christ. All right, so let's let's dig in. Verses 4 through 14 is what we're going to read together right now this morning. Here we go. And Jesus answered and he said to them, See to it that no one deceives you. For many have come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they deceive many. You will hear about wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not frightened. These things are necessary. But this is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these things, the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will hand you over to tribulation. They will kill you. They, you will be hated by every nation because of my name. And then many will be entrapped and stumble. They will betray each other. They will hate each other. Many false prophets will rise and they will deceive many. And because lawlessness increases, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures, the one who remains to the end, this one will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Remember the disciples' question. When is this going to happen? And what is going to be a sign for it happening? I think that's the obsession of a lot of us. When and what? 
But you notice that Jesus' answer to them clearly communicates that his chief concern is not the what and it's not the when. The first thing he starts out by saying is, see to it that you are not misled. Then a little bit later he says, see to it that you are not frightened. And then he ends by saying, if you remain, you'll be saved. Now here's here's Jesus' primary concern. It's not the what and it's not the when. It's your faithfulness, no matter what and no matter when. That's the heart of this message Jesus wants us to get. If you want to define what is red alert living, here as we start in chapter 24, here it is. Here's Jesus' first statement to us. We need to make sure that no matter what happens, no matter when it might happen, that we are faithful to follow Christ. That's primary with Jesus Christ. I mean, throughout the Scripture, when you dig into Scripture and you ask the question, When is this going to happen and what is going to happen? You will not come to a clear understanding of those two issues. But the scripture makes it abundantly clear that no matter what happens, and we get some direction as to that end, and no matter when it happens, and we have some idea of things that are moving us in that direction, that we stay faithful to Christ. Jesus tells us just enough so that we can understand the way things will be going as we approach that day so that we will remain faithful. That's his heartbeat. Faithfulness. Endurance. The reason why Jesus Christ is so concerned about that is because there are significant threats to our endurance. And what Jesus does in this section is he lines out some of those specific threats. And he's giving us some idea what life is going to be for believers until the day he comes. And he gives us these threats to our endurance, knowing that our endurance is the key. Faithfulness. Continuing to have faith daily in Jesus Christ who promised he will return and is with us each day through his spirit to enable us to walk with him. Faithfulness. Now notice these threats to faithfulness. He says, see to it that you're not misled or deceived. He says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. He says, there are going to be people that come. They're going to say, I'm the Christ. They're going to say in one way or the other, I am your answer. I know exactly what you need for life and eternity, life after death or life in this life, whatever it is, I am your answer. You need to listen to me, do what I say. I am the way. He says, there's going to be a lot of people coming saying that they're the Messiah, they're the way, they're the answer. And he says, don't listen to them. They're going to mislead and deceive many. And I've just given you a small historical view of what's happened just in the last 25 years. If we were to map out all the years since Jesus Christ ascended, it has been a constant occurrence that people have sought to deceive and to convince others that they are the way. Now, I know that sounds outlandish, but I'm telling you, that's exactly what's going on. It has been since Jesus Christ ascended, and it will continue until He returns. And so we need to make sure that we do everything we can in knowing the truth and trusting Christ and believing what He says and what He says alone so that we're not misled. Because things in these days are characterized by opportunities to be deceived. We must be careful to be faithful to Christ. 
The next thing that he mentions are things that frighten. He says, don't be misled. Well, don't be frightened. Things that could frighten followers from living in faith. Some of those things that he mentioned are things like wars and rumors and wars, famines and earthquakes, and then he goes on to the difficulties that come into the life of a believer. They're going to treat you bad. They're going to even murder you. Then people who claim to know Christ are going to betray you. They're going to turn against one another. I mean, it's going it's to be bad. And he said, these things could frighten you from following me, and I want you to know these things are going to be happening. They've been happening since Christ ascended. They're going to continue to happen until he returns. So do not be frightened from following me when things like this occur. You know, the first question somebody asks when things happen in their lives that does not feel like it's fair or it should be happening, or it's just or correct. I mean, you're trying to follow Christ, you're trying to do everything right, and then all of a sudden everything bad happens. Your first question is, why is this happening to me? And you're really asking, who's in control here? And Jesus Christ says to his followers, do not be afraid, all these things are going to happen. And he says in verse 6, notice he says, it's necessary for these things to happen. What does he just convey? That no matter what is going on, he is in control. He's in 100% control and he is moving everything towards the day when he will return and he will rescue his bride. He's in control. And we don't need to be afraid of anything. Don't be living in fear. No matter what happens. Because God's in control. And he will save those who trust in him. And the next thing he talks about is false prophets. It will rise up and deceive many. And around every corner today is a message that departs from the word of God in some way, shape, or form. And the travesty of this day is that Far too few people are making a pursuit of the knowledge of truth so that they might discern truth from error. This is a day when error abounds and the knowledge of the truth is essential so that you might discern and not be misled. Because there are false prophets everywhere. Jesus said that's what would happen, that's what happened since his ascension and it's going to continue the day he returns. Threats. Threats. And then he says, lawlessness will increase. People's love will grow cold. Things are not going to get better. In general, Jesus is just saying that people are going to continue to reject what I want. That's the way it's been, and that's the way it's going to continue to be, and people's love will actually go, grow cold. And then notice in verse 13, he says, those who remain, those who endure to the end, they will be saved. Now that that is incredible news for you and I. And I want to make sure you clearly understand what Jesus Christ has just said. If you remain in faith, if you continue to believe in Christ, this is what Jesus is saying, no matter what happens, no matter when it's going to happen, you stay faithful to me. 
Here's, don't be misled, don't be afraid. You stay faithful and follow me. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to save you. No matter what happens, no matter when it happens, those who believe in Christ will be saved. Here's what I want you to be clear on. Jesus has not just said to us that because you endure, the gift of your endurance is your salvation. That's not what he's just said. He's not just said to you and I that we have to make sure that we believe in him and we don't stop believing in him so that we will be saved as if us enduring the difficulties of these times brings about the reward of salvation. That's not what Jesus is teaching. He's not teaching that we are rewarded with salvation because we endure. That's not how the Bible communicates this idea of being faithful and then receiving salvation. Here's how it communicates it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul does a great job explaining this perspective. He says, I am the least of all the apostles. But Jesus Christ, his grace has worked in me. And what's happened is that I have worked harder than every other apostle. That's what he says. I've worked harder than all of them. He says, it's by the grace of God I became an apostle. I shouldn't have become an apostle because I per- persecuted the church, but God did this, and as a result of me becoming an apostle, I've worked harder than everybody else. But then he says, but not I, but the grace of God in me. You notice what he says? He says, I have worked so hard in following Christ, but it's not really been me. It's been the grace of God in me. Jesus Christ is telling each one of us, you better be faithful. You better make sure that you're not misled. You better not be frightened by these things. You better stick to following me in these perilous times. All these things are going to be happening from the moment I leave until the moment I return. But you better stick with me. Because if you stick with me, you will be saved. And so we are to respond to that by sticking with Christ no matter what, no matter when. And when we do that, we will look back on it and say, I stuck with him, but not I. It was the grace of God at work in me. In other words, here's the bonus. If you have placed your faith in Christ and he has saved you and he has put his spirit in you, then the quality of your life is one of endurance. As a person who has been rescued out of the enemy's hand, a person who's been saved by the grace of God, your faith is an enduring kind of faith. So that no matter what happens, you will be able to follow the Christ in faithfulness so that when the end comes, you will be saved because of the grace of God at work in you. See, Jesus Christ is not telling his followers to endure so that they will be saved. He is telling them to endure because they will be saved because they are saved. See that? That's the teaching of Scripture. Now, notice what happens with verse 14. Jesus just communicated, you follow me because you are saved, you will be saved. All right, that's the tenor of what Scripture is teaching here. And then in verse 14, he says... And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. All right. We are called to endure. That's red, alert, living. But our endurance is not for our salvation. Our endurance is because of our salvation through faith in Christ and the receiving of grace that enables us to endure. 
So if our endurance is not for our salvation, verse 14, it's for the world's salvation. Jesus Christ says, things are going to be a mess. But you endure. You trust me. I'm going to save you because you're mine and you got the grace to endure. And the reason I want you to endure is so the gospel can spread to the nations. Our endurance through faith in Christ by his grace is for the glory of Christ in the spread of the gospel to the nations. The reason we endure is not for our salvation, but for the salvation of those who need to hear the gospel. Red alert living. Our faithful endurance to the promises of Christ for the spread of the gospel. That's what we're called to do. You know, there's a campaign that Homeland Security has with this alert level stuff. The campaign is called, if you see something, say something. Now, I like that. In fact, I want to adapt that for us during this series. And I want to say, this needs to be our motto. If you know something, say something. If you know Jesus Christ, tell somebody. If you know the truth about Christ's love, tell somebody. Tell somebody at lunch today. Tell somebody at work this week. Tell somebody in your neighborhood in the next month. Ask the Lord, Lord, I know you, and I want to tell somebody. Help me. Make sure you make every effort to demonstrate your endurance through spreading the gospel. That's why you're called to endure in this life. The reason God has not already taken us out of this world and made everything new is because He is patient, not not wanting anyone to perish. And so He calls us to endure in faithfulness that we might spread the gospel to all nations because when the gospel gets spread to all nations, according to 24.14, the end will come. And we want to be faithful to endure for the sake of Christ and the spread of the gospel. Tell somebody. And in these days and times, I want to use Jesus' words to encourage you. Do not be misled and do not be afraid. Spread the gospel in your endurance for Christ. Don't be misled. There is no other way to be saved except through faith in Jesus Christ. Everyone who has not placed their faith in Christ will go to hell. Don't be misled. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. No matter what happens in your life on a day-to-day basis, do not forget that God is control, that there is an it is necessary in every area of your life. And God is using all the areas of your life to bring you to a place where you best portray the truth of Jesus Christ and His salvation. God is in control. Don't act like He's not. When things begin to go crazy in your life, that's meant to be an opportunity for you to display the gospel, not to display your concern about God's lack of ability to control things. It is meant to be your opportunity to say, God is in control, and even though I don't know what's happening, or why it's happening, or when it's going to stop, I'm going to remain faithful to Him because I know His promises, and these events occurring in my life that I may not understand are an opportunity for me to display Jesus Christ is the answer. He's in control. And as lawlessness increases in this day and time, let me just tell you, that is not a reason to isolate ourselves from this world of lawlessness. Do not be misled. The answer 
for Christian people in a world of lawlessness is not to block out all lawlessness from touching our lives. The answer for people who follow Christ in a world of lawlessness is to get in that world of lawlessness and be a light to the darkness. Because people who do not know Christ cannot know Christ unless we are faithful to display Christ. And this world of lawlessness needs to see Jesus. Don't isolate. Emerge. Get yourself in the world as a light to the darkness. People need you. They need to hear about Christ through you. And lastly, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of being rejected, betrayed, hated. Jesus already told you it's going to happen. Don't be afraid. Trust him. Trust him. I'm just telling you, when you this week think about sharing Christ with somebody and you have that little, that little feeling of fear that just pops into your head or your heart, you just take that as a red flag. I need to share Christ. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to operate on fear. I'm going to operate in faith. Follow Christ. So when is Jesus coming back? Well, here's his answer. You be faithful till he does. What's going to be happening that'll show us he's coming back? Here's his answer. Whatever happens, you remain faithful. Faithful to Christ. Faithful to spread the gospel. That's red alert living. And there's no better way to wait on the return of Christ.